David's going to come up and he's going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We can all just follow along with him. Thanks, bud. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and that was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool who will happen to me also? Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For if the wise is of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what, it is, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled, and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of his heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his works is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting, only to give the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. All right. So we are in our series on Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. Let's begin this morning just by um, reminding ourselves of the challenge from last week, which was the question, where are you searching for meaning in your life? Where are you searching for meaning in your life? And I hope you had some time to maybe just think about that for a little bit this past week. Think about where you look for meaning. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Um, where do you, you know, give your energy towards? 
Um, how you, where are you searching for meaning? Um, so let's quickly review chapter one. I need you guys to help me. What are some of the key things that we learned back in chapter one? What do you guys remember from last week? Turn the page backwards. Anything that stuck out to you from last week? Any kind of little lessons that you took away? Endless cycle of laundry. Yes, this is what life is like. Good. (laughs) Anything else stand out to you guys? What's the key word that we heard over and over and over? Vanity, Vanity, right? That's word vanity, vanity, vanity. Okay. This is a word that we have to keep in mind. We're going to use the uh, the Hebrew meaning of it, or the Hebrew way of saying it, hevel. Um, because vanity doesn't necessarily capture the whole word. What are some of the other things we said that Hevel refers to? Do you guys remember from last week? Smoke. Smoke, okay? So Hevel is like smoke, okay? Smoke, it's like, um, let's see my drawing skills here. This is... Someone on a cold morning. Okay, it's a breath. It's it's just a mist that comes out of your mouth and is gone for a second after a second. Okay, so hevel is it's passing. It's it's hard to grab onto. It it looks real until you try to grab it and then it's not there. Okay, so life is vain. Other translations say meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Okay, so that's kind of the big. Uh, hypothesis of the book that life all is vanity and then there's this big question verse 3 chapter 1 verse 3 what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun and I want you to focus on that word gain because that word is going to be important today what does man gain or another way to say it is what profit do you get from all the work that you do under the sun okay and last uh, another key phrase that we need to keep in mind is this one. Under the sun. Anybody remember why that was an important phrase? Any students remember? Yeah. So that's one of the things we learned is that there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, it's from chapter one. Good. And we use this phrase under the sun a lot of times. And when he uses it, what should we think of? What's, what's he telling us? Anyone remember from last week? All right. He's talking about our perspective. He's talking about the way that we look at life, okay? So the whole perspective that he's critiquing is the perspective of life under the sun. Now, last week we said life under the sun is a life that's lived apart from relationship with God. Now, it's not life where God doesn't exist because we see in some parts where he talks about how, you know, God is sovereign and he's kind of given this work to humans to do, Um, but it's not a life that has a relationship with that God. That's the life he's critiquing. And so we're going to read through chapter two really slowly together, and we're just going to look at what um, he discovers. So our, our author, the preacher is what he's called. 
He's searching for meaning. He's on a big quest for the meaning of life. And what does the top of your passage there say? On chapter two, how does it label this one? The vanity of self-indulgence. Okay, you guys know what self-indulgence is? Self-indulgence is when you just give yourself whatever you want. Okay? And so here is the first test. The first test is, is meaning found in self-indulgence? Is meaning found in giving myself whatever myself wants? All right, so let's read through it. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, or vanity, remember, is hevel. This also was hevel. This was smoke. It was mist. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So the first thing he tests is laughter, comedy. How many of us, at the end of a day, we go home and we, we open up YouTube or we open up Netflix so we can watch something that'll make me smile or make me laugh, right? And so he says, you know, I, I, I pursued laughter as where to find meaning in life. And at the end of the day, I found that it was madness to try to pursue pleasure there. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Now, it's always interesting to talk about drinking alcohol in a context like this. And so the question is, is he saying that I went out to a rager and got really drunk? I don't think so. I think there's a really key phrase here. It says, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. So what I think he's saying is I, I pursued the enjoyment of wine, not to get drunk, but he became a connoisseur in a sense. He learned, did you guys know that wine, you know, like really famous and expensive wines, they have different notes of flavor in them depending on the, uh, the soil that it's grown in, the type of grape that it's used, the, the other trees that are around it, you know, it, these things all give notes and hints and wine connoisseurs are able to taste those and the rest of us just, it just all taste the same, right? Um, not, someday you'll know. Um, and, um, and so he, he enjoys wine to the max and at the end, um, nothing. He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. How many of you guys like HGTV? Yeah, right? And this is, I mean, he's like, he had the budget to watch HGTV and do something about it, right? So he's just like, didn't just watch the shows and live vicariously through other people. He actually started building those houses. And the pursuit of, of fine architecture and of beautiful gardens. Right? You guys been to the botanical gardens? Does Chicago have botanical gardens? I don't think I've been. <laughs> been to the Denver ones. Um, you guys ever been traveling, been to like a famous castle or manor, you know, in England or something like that, and they've got amazing gardens all throughout for you to go stroll in? He did all that. He made vineyards. He made whole forests of growing trees, pools to water them. 
Okay, so notice he doesn't just, uh, he, he doesn't know how to do anything small, does he? He does it all big. He does it really big, the biggest and the best. But he keeps going. He says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. And that might trouble some of us, right? That we might think that, that doesn't sound great. Um, first of all, we have to remember that slavery is different back then than it, than it would have been in our history. Um, but it's very clear he, just, he had a lot of people he hired to do all the work for him. I think that's probably the main thing we should take away from this. He didn't really have to lift much of a finger. He's not out there weeding these huge gardens like, oh, no, I made acres of gardens and there's weeds everywhere. I have to go out there and weed them. No, he had other people do that. Okay, so it's, it's just luxury, and he doesn't have to do anything to take care of it. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. That's a lot. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. So he he acquires lots and lots of riches. He is the richest of the rich, more than anyone before him, it says. He doesn't stop there. He keeps going. I got singers, both men and women. And so for some of us, we might be like, I could take or, or leave the singers. But how, how, how big is your iTunes library? How many, you know, you, we now have uh, subscriptions so we can listen to music all the time. That's a luxury that we enjoy that King Solomon, you know, it, it's not everyone who could listen to music. You either could play it yourself or you had to be rich enough to hire other people to play it for you. And so he didn't just have a few musicians, he had whole groups of singers, whole choirs who would entertain him with fine music when he wanted it. And many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So here he's talking about, um, in the Old Testament, there was the practice of taking many wives, but then there was also taking concubines, um, all of which the king could have sex with. Okay, And so the idea is that he had an very large number of people that he could have sex with. And if we look at 1 Kings, if this is talking about Solomon, the exact number is 700 wives and princesses with 300 concubines. Okay? So 1,000 women um, at, in his household. And so that all of this gets to this point where he has essentially what we would say paradise. We would, you know, most people in the world would say that right there is paradise. That's what I would, if, if I had my choice, I would have all those things too. Um, but looks into the conclusion. The conclusion in verse 9 is this. I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is really important for us to hear. 
It's really important for all of us to hear, but I think it's especially important for you guys to hear, for middle school and high school students to hear this. Because remember what we said the, uh, last week? We said one of the things that he's doing for us is he's going down paths that look attractive to us now, and he's going down them all the way to their conclusion so that he can see, so that we can see where those paths end and not go on them too. And I know that your hearts, because it's true of my heart, longs for many of the things that are in his pursuit of pleasure here. Many of the things that he has pursued are things that at some point in my life I also would love to have pursued. Um, and so we should see that he ends all of this by saying that there is, it's, it was all vanity. Now, does that mean, let's ask this question, does that mean that he didn't enjoy it? Does that mean that while he was building houses and drinking fine wines and, and having lots of wives and concubines, that at no, the whole time he was just like a sourpuss, just like, this is not fun, I don't like this wine, I don't like those bushes you put over there, that house is ugly you built. I don't think so. Because he says throughout all of it that um, my heart found pleasure in all my toil. In other words, he, he genuinely found pleasure throughout the process. But there's something that you have to realize as you are pursuing pleasures like this. There's always the morning after. There's always the next day. And there's always this thing called time that erodes these things away. So for example, some of us in here, we might be looking forward to the next stage of life, right? I see middle school, I can't wait to get to high school, get the big lockers. Um, I don't have someone, you know, teacher watching over my back the whole time. I can have a little more freedom. If you're in high school, maybe you're like, can't wait to get my license. If you've got your license, maybe you can't wait to go to college so that you can have a little bit more independence and freedom and start living on your own. But the reality is if you guys just look around the room at anybody who's not in high school right now, me, some people in the back, okay? We all enjoyed those pleasures of getting to high school and getting our driver's license and getting to college. And they're in the past. They're behind us because the next day still came. And while those pleasures may have been enjoyed for a little bit, they all ultimately are left in the past. Okay, they don't last. They don't ultimately fulfill you. And you're still left looking for and longing for something else to bring you joy and to bring you pleasure. You guys should know this just from all your Christmases and birthdays, right? I mean, how many Christmases and birthdays have you received a gift that if you were to find in your house is still in working order, but doesn't bring you the same pleasure and joy that it once did, right? How many of you would be satisfied if your next birthday or Christmas, your parents rewrapped all the gifts they'd already given you that are just sitting around the house and gave them to you again and said, you know, they, these are still gifts from us. You can still enjoy them. That wouldn't be very satisfying because we get over it, right? We get over it. Um, one person said, pleasure pursued for its own sake does not satisfy the soul. And that's a really important principle for us to understand. Pleasure pursued for its own sake does not satisfy the soul. And this is the point in the message where I remember that I made slides. And we're right about here, I think. Okay. 
Um, or think about sports teams. How many of you guys, let's, let's, you guys raise your hands, you play sports. I do sports, I'm a sports person. Okay, how many of you have ever won a championship? Your team has won a tournament, you've won a championship, okay? What happens just a few months after winning the championship? What? You're back to work. You're all on even playing field, right? It doesn't matter if you've got that ring around your finger or whatever it is. If you won the Super Bowl, for crying out loud, at the end of the day, in August, you're still in the middle of the pack with everybody else. And you've got to do it all. Talk about cycles. You've got to do it all over again. You've got to play 18 more grueling games, hope that your body holds together until the end of the season, and see if you can actually pull it off again. And if you do pull it off again, the repeat. Guess what everyone says after the repeat? Three-peat. Like, for crying out loud, people. Like, we just won two in a row. Can't you give us a break? Like, don't when, when does it end? It doesn't. The desire is always for you to keep going, keep winning more and more and more. So even when pleasure in life is attained, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. We should probably take a minute to think about sex here for a second. Because while that might be the most uncomfortable one for us to talk about, it's probably one of the most applicable ones for us. Because for some of us, we're just like, you know, because it's a gift from God and because we're wired this way and because of this wonderful thing called puberty, we're like, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, okay? He says to us, I had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And do you know what? At the end of the day, it didn't satisfy. And the reality is with the internet, with pornography, you can have more than 700 wives and 300 concubines. You can interact with more women than King Solomon did in your lifetime, or more men. And the thing you need to hear from King Solomon is this. Ultimately, it won't satisfy you. I read one little quick quote from Martin Luther on the topic, on this topic. He says... Nope, didn't write it down. Awesome. Um, oh, yes, I did. I wrote it down somewhere else. He said, if the Lord has given one a wife, one should now hold on to her and enjoy her. If you want to exceed these limits and add to this gift, which you have in the present, you will get grief and sorrow instead of pleasure. And I can encourage you guys to believe that, that that is true, that God made the system so that you could get the ultimate amount of pleasure out of it. And in fact, our, our minds and sin and the world has hardwired us to think that more is better. And in reality, more decreases the joy and the pleasure in sex. So I'll, I'll leave sex alone, but that is something that you guys need to keep in mind. All right, so let's keep going here. After he does the test of pleasure and finds it lacking, he goes into a second look at wisdom. Because in chapter 1, he, he did this little quick look at wisdom. He said, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me. My heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I applied my heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly. I perceived this was also a striving after the wind. But, as often happens when we're trying to find the meaning of life... He, he went from wisdom to pleasure, and he goes back and he thinks, you know what, maybe I missed something in wisdom. Let me go back and look at wisdom again. So I turned and considered wisdom and madness and folly. 
So that's to say wisdom on one side, madness and folly on the other side. For what can the man do who comes after the king, only what has already been done? Then I saw that there is more gain, you guys hear that word? There's more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So guys, for the first time in Ecclesiastes, the author has actually said something positive. Yay! Right? He's like, wisdom. Okay, so I did learn one thing. Wisdom is better than foolishness. Because if you're foolish, it's like stumbling around in the dark. But if you're wise, at least you can kind of see what's going on around you. So he's going to give us that little ray of sunshine. There's some gain in wisdom. But guess what? Here comes the dark side. And yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool, so I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. So here's the problem. When it comes to wisdom... The same fate awaits both the wise and the foolish. So he's saying you could live your whole life pursuing wisdom. You could try to live a good and wise life and do what is right. And at the end, guess what happens? You die. Just like the stupid people. They die and you die. And it doesn't matter how wise you were. Death awaits all of us. And that kind of bums him out. It bums him out so much that he says, I hated life. I hated life. This is the logical conclusion of life apart from God. If we just try to become so wise and so smart apart from God without a relationship with him, even becoming the the most brilliant mind on earth won't ultimately satisfy us. It won't give us meaning. It's pointless apart from the purpose that God gives to life. Contrast this to what Paul says in Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Life has purpose all of a sudden, when we set our minds on the things of God and what he has done in the world. But when we try to pursue our own wisdom, the conclusion is, I hated life and everything is grievous to me. Well, he goes on and he says another problem is in verse 18. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun. And this word toil is just the word for work. I hated all the work in which I worked under the sun seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled or worked with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. 
What has a man from all the toil or work and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. What he's saying here is this. Work is hard. And you give your whole life to it. Like my brother, he's, he's training to be a doctor. And he's going to be in school forever, right? And then maybe he'll be a doctor for a little bit. He's in school for like 10 years after he graduates from college. And you're just going to work and work. And guess what happens when you finish school? You go to work. Now you have to work. And you're working. And you, you make money and you grow in wisdom. And, and as you toil, it doesn't just fill your days, but it fills your nights. Even in the night, his heart does not rest because we know that when we really take our work seriously and we really pour ourselves into it, sometimes it keeps us up at night. And we can't even sleep because of it. So it's not like I work during the day and I play during the night and I rest and I have a great time. No. And at the end of life, after all of this work, you get to pass it on to somebody else. Your stupid kids. (laughs) Who knows? You might have kids, you might not. Ultimately, your work goes to someone else. And, and first of all, this is grievous because did they do anything to earn that? No, they were born to you. That's what they did to earn it. And second of all, they may be stupid. They may take what you have spent your whole life working for and blow it. Like the prodigal son takes his inheritance, goes to a far-off land, and blows it. I know of people who have inherited their parents' businesses, that they've poured their blood, sweat, and tears into make profitable and good, and they inherit it. Three years down the road, doors closed, bankrupt, no money left, because they had some brilliant idea that they were going to take that business and change it and make it better, and they sunk it. And so what he's saying is, why even work? when I know that everything I'm going to do is going to go to someone else and they may not even be able to keep it going. So it's, it's a discouraging thought. The rewards that we gain in life are pleasant to have, but they're never secure. And they're oftentimes distributed unequally to people who don't deserve them. And all of this comes from life under the sun. This is all happening with a perspective of life under the sun. So let's get to the conclusion here. The conclusion is this. When you hear verse 24, first of all, I want you to realize that the tone has completely changed. The tone has completely changed. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in all his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the busyness or the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. So let's understand what he's saying first here. First of all, he gives us this really positive ending. And the positive ending is this that life should be enjoyed and life can be enjoyed when we receive and when we do everything as a gift from the hand of God. When we see everything as 
coming from God and being in relationship with him, life all of a sudden has meaning. And it has so much meaning that the fools, those who uh, God has given the sinner, the task of uh, gathering and collecting, the fools who are running around trying to find meaning in life by, by working and gaining stuff, ultimately, all the work that they are going to do ends up in the hands of God's people. It ultimately ends up in the hands of God's people. Um, so that last verse, this also is a vanity and a striving after the wind, it refers to the work of sinners, not to the work of God's people. So here's the last things I want you guys to take away. Apart from God, pleasure has no meaning. So if we think about the beginning of our passage, all these pleasures that are listed out, ultimately they have no gain. They don't profit you at all. But that's not to say they aren't good. Because in relationship with God, laughter is a gift from God. When he gives us times and places and people to laugh with, that is a gift. Wine is a gift from God. When we get to enjoy good food and marvel at the fact that God made all sorts of grapes and all sorts of regions to grow those grapes, to create all sorts of different flavor profiles, that's a gift when we enjoy that as a gift from God and recognize God's wonder and creativity in it. Great works are a gift from God when we build things, when we put our hands to the soil and to to building homes, especially when we do it not for ourselves but for others. It is a gift to engage in those things. Possessions can be used to glorify God. Music can be used to glorify God. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed in marriage. All of these things can be enjoyed rightly when enjoyed in relationship with God and used in the way that God wants us to. But in order for us to enjoy these things, we can't search for meaning in them. Meaning isn't found in and of themselves. Meaning is found in enjoying God and enjoying these as a gift from God. The second thing is that apart from God, wisdom and work have no meaning. Ultimately, you'll still die, you'll leave it to someone else. But with God, wisdom and work can be enjoyed. And and I had a parent approach me the other day really concerned that this series was going to, the one thing you guys were all going to take away from this series was that you didn't have to do your homework anymore. Okay? So that's not the case because, let me tell you a little bit of something about work. In the Garden of Eden, before they sinned, God told Adam to keep and to work the garden. In other words, work existed in paradise. Work was created before the fall. Work is not a product of sin of the fall, okay? So there is a way that we can work in in order that we can enjoy it and not find it just this wearisome, toilsome task. In fact, Jesus tells us that he works. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now. So we have a working God who's at work in the world and I am working. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus has work to do. Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So we are called as Christians to pursue work, the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And that's the most helpful verse to us to end on because it's saying that when we work, we do it because God has given it to us and because he's given it to us as a gift. And as Ecclesiastes says here, we should enjoy the work that God has given us. We should do it for him and unto him 
We should do it to love God and to love our neighbor. We should use the work that he's given us to bring him glory. 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the conclusion is that when life is lived in relationship with God, in fact, everything has meaning. Laundry has meaning. Doing your chores has meaning. Doing your homework has meaning. Watching your brother and sister while your parents go out of the house has meaning. When you do it for the glory of God. So the point of this passage is that, in fact, everything has meaning. And so the question that we want to end on is this. What role does God play in all that you do? What role does God play in all that you do? You guys do homework. You guys go to choir practice. You guys have sports practice. You guys babysit your siblings. Does God play any role in why you do that and how you do that? Do you take into mind, do you you consider that God has given you the opportunity to do this and he probably has a purpose for you in how you do it and he wants you to do it in a way that brings him glory and blesses other people? So that's the closing question that we have for today. Um, Consider that as you go throughout the week. What role does God play in all that you do? Let's pray and we'll head into the main service. Lord, we're so thankful for your gift to us of work and of the many things that you've given us in life to enjoy. And Lord, teach us to not pursue meaning in those things. I know that our hearts are fickle, that we are so tempted and quickly enticed by sex, by money, by pleasures, by laughter, by music, thinking that if we can only get what we want from those things, that then we'll find meaning in life that we're tempted to resist work, to resist working hard and and the work that you've given us because we think that it's taking away from the pleasure of life. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to bring you into the equation of life. Bring you into why we do what we do. Give us new eyes to see our, our school, to see our family, to see our neighborhood, to see our jobs, to see music practice, sports practice, as a gift from you, something to be lived and enjoyed in communion with you. And I pray that as we do that, we would find the words of Ecclesiastes to be true, that there is, in fact, joy and enjoyment to be had when we take everything from your hand and get meaning out of it because you gave it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.